0: Escape, from plan A. A. Escape, escape. Hey, welcome to uh, an episode of uh, Escape from Plan A. Uh, We might, I guess, release this as either like a free bonus or whatever, because we're going to talk about the TikTok and the WeChat ban and kind of do a little deep dive into it. I've got Jess. How are you, Jess?
1: Doing okay. Had an earthquake and a record-setting fire and choking smog for like... Well, choking ash for like two weeks, but I'm still here. <laughs>
0: Are you breathing? Are you breathing? You're breathing air and the air is available to yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Sorry for the dramatic. house is not on fire.
0: Yes. Okay. So in general, you're doing okay. Yeah. 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 No, seriously. I mean, like some of the, like you posted some pictures of the, of the fire that were like, oh, that neighborhood is totally just on fire.
1: Yeah, and we had an earthquake that actually was a uh, like it's a four point eight, so it's not like a mega earthquake or anything. But it, it it the epicenter was actually just a few miles away from me, so it just felt a, like a bigger deal. And I remember like it just starts shaking. I'm like, oh well, of course, yeah, I'm I'm ready, I'm ready for this. That's 2020
0: in a nutshell. Yeah, and uh, Diana is with us as well. Hey, Diana. Hey. Everything good with you?
2: I'm doing good. I can't complain. Like nothing yeah. dramatic happening
0: here. Yeah, it's and it's fall. I, I mean, I guess like on the East Coast, it's fall, cool weather's coming in.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite nice. It's breezy, it's chill.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, returning to the pot, actually, like after a long absence, is uh, Chris. Chris, what is going on, man? What's up, all? You haven't been on in a while because you've been busy with uh, some other project, and maybe it would be a good time for you to just plug it and describe it for listeners because they might be interested in what you're up to, man.
3: Oh yeah, so you know, I just started a new pod with I'm sure people uh, who listen to this know Philip and Eliza, and it's called Unverified Accounts. It's essentially Escape from Planet, but we focus almost entirely on arts and culture. And what's up with me? I recently switched to wearing long-legged pajamas. Now the the shift has occurred. And
2: <laughs> what you've never worn long-legged pajamas before.
3: No, I just mean for the summer, because I just sleep in my oh, boxers. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Tonight <laughs> I was I'm like, that doesn't fly anymore. I wake up <laughs> right. shivering in the morning. If- yeah. Yeah, no, I only no, discovered like, you've shoes last out. year.
2: You've been
1: missing out. Okay, I have a story about that. The three of you are East Coasters, so you probably un- will laugh at me. But my first year in college, uh, like I just kind of lived like a Californian stuck on the East Coast. It was a miserable winter in Boston. Sophomore year, I had better friends who actually gave a shit about (laughs) me, I guess. Uh, So, one of them actually knocked on my door as the seasons turned, as it got colder. And she's like, hey, Jess, we're going to stock up for the winter. So, I figured, you know, you might want to stock up on long underwear. Uh, and this is the first time in my life I had ever heard that phrase, long underwear. Like, she had to actually like, call me on the look on my face. I, like, in my head, it's like, what on earth does long underwear do that, like, regular underwear doesn't?
2: Like, how did you imagine it in your head?
1: I'm thinking, like, like a diaper <laughs> or some, like something, but, like, pants? <laughs> I had no idea. My brain just like short-circuited. Like panties
0: that go up to your armpits? like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> basically it's like why in my mind it's like why <laughs> what is wrong with you i don't need that and then she explained it to me and it was and it was like oh this makes total sense i got some like it was like silk silk wow fancy no it's like it's like thin but it still like keeps heat in really nicely without bulking you up too much like so you don't feel like a stuffed <laughs> sausage oh yeah they have
2: nice nice fabric and, now it's heat trapping yeah. polyester or something Something like that. Yeah, I got a
1: pair that was flannel and that just felt way too like backwoods for me. That was not the way to go. Yeah, anyway, that's that's my story.
3: I don't know if I've ever worn silk ever. I don't know if my skin has ever had the benefit of touching silk in my life.
1: You owe it to yourself.
3: I, I don't wear long underwear, but I do wear leggings uh, in the winter because they save your life. And I have this like bright red pair, uh, which I I think bought when I was Rufio for Halloween. So I needed like a pair of red tights under my shredded black <laughs> jeans. And I was like, I'll just keep it and just wear it in the winter because it's great and it you know, keeps your legs alive.
2: Yeah, it helps a lot. You wouldn't think that it would just with that like thin fabric, but it's like night and day.
0: It really helps. Yeah, I've been on a I've been on a multi year quest to find flannel lined jeans, but I don't know where the hell to find them.
3: Oh, I have some like flannel lined uh, slacks, but you're talking about jeans specifically.
0: Yeah, I, they used to sell them, but I can't. I've been on. It's like been years. It's like been a decade. I've been looking for them, but I can't find it.
2: What about like a sporting goods store or like a know. hunting goods yeah,
1: store, like, store? Perhaps
0: perhaps.
2: L.L. Bean, Land's End, all the
1: stuff that has Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. smiling, smiling families and Labrador retrievers
0: on it. If you find them, you send them my way. I I will. Just wear leggings, teen. No, I do. I wear the heat tech. Okay. Okay. So the pod is called unverified accounts, as in none of you have a blue check. We we have upside down red checks. Uh, We gave ourselves uh, those. And it's about, you know, I think if you like Escape from Plan A, this is going to be more up your alley as well, but more focused on.
3: There's like arts and culture and stuff like that. Uh, you know, if you want to come and listen to TikTok news and, you know, important shit, come to this pod. But <laughs> if you want to listen to us talk about films and stuff, go to uh, Unverified Accounts.
1: You guys have a few episodes out already. They're, it's good stuff.
0: It, and they, you're, you're on everything, right? Like us? like Oh, yeah, yeah. The usual Apple pods, all that stuff. Okay, so the reason we're convening is because we are wanting to talk about something that's in the news. It is the pair of executive orders that came from our dear leader, Donald Trump, one banning or threatening to ban TikTok. That was the big headline story. TikTok, the extremely popular video clip sharing site, a social network uh, that really dominated the news cycle because I think the penetration of TikTok into, you know, into America is pretty deep. And so banning this thing meant a lot of things to a lot of people. So that was covered in the news. But the other was the banning of WeChat. WeChat has a far less impact into American society. Very few people actually use WeChat. Uh, but WeChat is, in China, uh, an absolutely dominant, what they call a super app. It is a chat app. It is a social network it is a mobile payment platform
3: i heard that you can't even buy things if you don't have a wechat app just because yeah. nobody uses cash anymore or something you yeah have to, you have right. to we
2: buy wechat or sorry buy things on wechat they even have a service like city bike or blue bikes you know and it's all on wechat like it just like tells you where a bike is and then you pay on the app and then you just like ride it to another spot in the city stuff like that like, everything is on WeChat. Like, literally everything that you need to, like, exist in China is on WeChat. And, yeah. like, if you go to China, you know, like, if, you, if you're visiting China as a tourist or something, and you're on your own, like, you probably wouldn't even be able to, like, take the train or something if you didn't have WeChat.
3: Yeah, I have to wonder if Americans can even conceive of what a super app actually is, because as much as we claim we're addicted to, say, like Instagram or Twitter, it, it is essentially just a toy. But it's like if you wrap up everything from, you know, Apple Pay to Facebook to, you know, your address book, everything into one app, I don't think most Americans can conceive of that, including myself.
2: They can't. Yeah. There's no like conglomerates that are as big as Tencent in the US. I feel like it's more like the Tata company in India, if you've heard of them. Yeah. Like they just own like so many different, like they're just huge.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. In Korea, too, you got the big conglomerates where, you know, they can make everything from petrochemicals to, I don't know, food to cars to even like junk toys what? or whatever. You see their name everywhere. Yeah, The
0: chip right?
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: It's just inconceivable here
1: that day is coming and one of the one of the things i would like to bring to light here is the role that the big tech companies actually played behind the scenes i think that's it's not a primary driver i think but it is a it is a very strong secondary driver and also helped pad the propaganda machine to manufacture consent for this decision it's the work of the big the the fan companies here in the us that are colluding absolutely colluding to shut tech like wechat alipay all of this um and tiktok of course from the American market because they have the goal of eventually adopting that for the for the American market and beyond.
0: I definitely want to touch on that uh, or get back to that because I think it's an important counterpoint that we need to talk about. And I think and I say counterpoint because, like, if we take Facebook, you know, there is a sort of symmetry to what's going on, right? Like, American social networks like Facebook have really been refused access into China. Google, same thing, and. You know, to the extent that the U.S. is now banning Chinese social networks, there is at least a symmetry to what's going on in the sense that our, quote, our American social networks don't enjoy, similarly don't enjoy the ability to penetrate into China despite a lot of effort. And I mean, like Mark Zuckerberg reading, you know, Xi Jinping's book, like, you know, uh, trying to learn Chinese and stuff to no avail. And I want to get back. I think that's a good counterpoint. And I do want to get back to that. But first, I want to talk about something that I think the media just really hasn't been picking up on with respect to WeChat. It's kind of just mentioned factually like, oh, they're going to ban TikTok. Who's going to buy TikTok? There's a lot of interest in the tech and business press as to what company is going to be able to buy it. Is it going to be Oracle? Is it going to be Microsoft? Is it going to be Walmart? I don't know. Whatever. You know, how much are they going to pay for it? What does it mean for all the influencers? Oh, no, think of
3: the influencers.
0: Yeah, think of the influ—think of that TikTok house and what all those people are going to do, you know? And I think that's, you know, where the media interest is. There was one article in the New York Times called It's So Essential, The WeChat Ban Makes the U.S. China Standoff Personal. And it does go into <clears throat> at least a little bit how the WeChat ban will impact the lives of a lot of Chinese Americans. Um, that rely on WeChat to plug into and stay in touch with their Chinese network, their family, their friends, buying things from Chinese sites, things like that.
3: I met up with someone on Saturday and she told me about how like her relatives, especially, like, older relatives are all now panicking on which app to move to, to like something like WhatsApp and as I heard that, I'm like, this is just, just like, as, as Jess said, just like tech collusion. You know, they're like, you know, they're always like, oh, you Chinese, you don't innovate. Now, now they do. And they're like, oh, shit, that's bad. We, now we got to steal every everything from you and it seemed like bullshit.
0: Yeah. And so I'm reading this and, you know, I think that's, it's a good article in the sense that it is touching upon the sort of personal impact that banning WeChat will have, especially on Chinese speaking Americans. Um, but what I noticed is that there's really no discussion about the legalities of this. There isn't an instinct in these articles or, or any of the coverage to really dig into what kind of larger importance this has. In terms of the notion of civil liberties, the notion of Trump's continued assault on civil civil liberties throughout his administration, it kind of just assumes that this is something that might have to be done. And that is uh, something that's validly done in terms of this sort of confrontation with China. And so in the middle of this, there is a group called the US WeChat Users Alliance, which I, I don't actually know much about. It is a group of individuals, mostly Chinese Americans, who joined together to sue the Trump administration to say that they believe that their rights are being violated and that the Trump administration has exceeded its legal authority to do this. And I thought that that was really interesting because I had not seen in the press much of a skepticism or digging into whether banning WeChat was actually okay. After the lawsuit was filed in the Northern District of California federal court, the federal court came back and gave an injunction, granted the injunction, which meant that there will be a lawsuit, there will be a trial about this. But in the meantime, uh, the court said, "Look, you can't ban WeChat because we believe that plaintiffs have raised serious questions about the violation of their First Amendment rights." And in particular, the way in which this is a form of preemptive restraint on speech that has a discriminatory and particularized effect on Chinese speaking Americans and Chinese Americans, you know, and, and, and then it goes back to a lot of the stuff that you all were saying which was like, this becomes a major burden and obstacle for Chinese Americans and how they keep it. is a major, this fucks up the way that they uh, live their lives. Is that fair? I I wanted to bring this up because when I was reading the order, I was like, the federal court understood that this is actually a civil right, a civil liberty. This is something enshrined in the constitution that your ability to communicate and your ability to speak is a protected right under the constitution.
2: Can we actually go into the executive orders and where they're coming from and their legality in the first place? Because I think that's not exactly clear either. Or like I, I read them, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because of the injunction. But before that, I had no idea what was going on or like the how scope of was it. Even- yeah. And yeah. it's actually like really, really freaking disturbing how mm-hmm. vague it is and the scope of the thing. There's There's good reason why all these Chinese American and Chinese speaking communities are really freaked out right now.
0: For sure, it's two separate orders: uh, the WeChat order and the TikTok order. But they both relate to it's it's uh, there's an executive order that they're part of. They're derived from another sort of parent order, yeah. The eight seven three order from May of last year, May fifteenth of twenty nineteen. So
2: these orders are August sixth, right? They were issued August sixth of this year.
0: Yeah, you mean the WeChat in the TikTok. Yeah. Yes.
2: But they're based on another executive order from May, from May of, of yeah. 2019.
0: Yes. In May of 2019, and and just the setting is that we're starting to really ramp up the trade war uh, with China. And we're this is when we really started to escalate this confrontation with China. It seems like this has been happening for a long time, but this is a relatively new confrontation. So... May of 2019, President issued the Executive Order 873, saying that foreign adversaries are starting to exploit vulnerabilities in the information and communications technology within the U.S. You know, they are trying to sabotage, you know, critical infrastructure. They're trying to have uh, malicious cyber-enabled attacks, industrial espionage, things like this. And the order essentially asked the, you know, various parts of the administration, you know, the cabinet, treasury, state department, defense department, things like that, to start identifying transactions. And that's a very broad term, and nobody knows what exactly what that means. But to identify transactions that they think pose some sort of unacceptable risk to the national security of the United States, and to report on them as threats from foreign adversaries. And the basis of this order were two statutes, one called the National Emergencies Act and the other one called IEEPA, which I kind of forgot what that stands for exactly.
2: International Economics something something.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an act. And so the NEA and the IEPA, don't worry about it, but they're laws that Congress had passed, uh, which essentially give the president to invoke or to declare a national emergency. What that means is that in May of last year, Trump had declared a national emergency with respect to this threat that foreign countries were trying to sort of like infiltrate the United States using whatever transactions, you know. And then, so that was last year. Then this year, basically, there there were findings, you know, pursuant to that. Remember, the the order was to say they wanted to go identify risks. Well, they identified TikTok and WeChat. As unacceptable risks to national security. Right. So I think, Diana, like that's really, you're right. I think that's really important to understand. Like, it's one thing to hear about that in the news, sort of an ongoing, like, oh, Trump thinks it's a threat. He's going to go TikTok. But like, we got to understand, like, these are like really strong, major actions with really scary wording saying, like, you know, this stuff is a threat to national security.
3: It's absolutely not Trump because a couple of months ago, I remember seeing a tweet by a fucking twerp, David Hogg, and he was talking all about how, oh, TikTok's like a threat to you know national security. And this is, this is like a democratic ingenue uh, spouting that. So, you know, it's coming from all sides. Is that the kid from uh, Parkland?
2: Yeah, the Parkland kid.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got it from you know, the tech industry, you got it from the Democrats, you got it from the Republicans. Uh, Trump is just a dummy who, he's still pissed off about them because he ruined his, um. what was that, that Oklahoma rally. That's like the buffoon story that people like to laugh at, but
0: oh no, this, this has been brewing for quite some time. I think that's right. I think what you say, it's like a buffoon story. I think the media really takes this... They're not really taking it seriously in a way because everything's just sort of like pushed off onto the orange monster. The bad man is doing this. What a fool. What an idiot. But when you start looking at the ways in which in May, they were taking like real presidential authority granted under actual acts of Congress to declare national emergencies. And by and large, it's a bipartisan support. I don't see Democrats coming out against this order. I don't see Democrats coming out and, and challenging this idea. It's a bipartisan, broad-based support for the president to do these things.
2: What other things have counted as national emergencies? I just want to get like a sense of – like a comparative sense of what's going on.
0: Like what has been declared under yeah. the NEA? Honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the history of what's been declared under the NEA.
2: Probably like Hurricane Katrina or something like that.
0: Yeah, perhaps. I, um, I mean, I don't know, like probably under nine eleven and uh, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, something like that.
0: Terrorist attacks.
1: Yeah, I think it has its roots. It has its roots in nine eleven, if not shortly before.
2: I could be wrong. NEA was passed in the 70s. It was like 1976.
0: That was the NEA. I think the IEPA yeah. is a little later. And I, I think that's right. I think that's probably yeah, goes, yeah. going towards things like terrorist financing. I see. Okay. Is, is my guess. as to-
1: I, I know that there were a lot of challenges to like TSA overstepping its bounds post 9-11, things like that. Those challenges have been countered using precedent. I can't remember if it was IEPA or NEA or anything, but I can only imagine that those bolstered. The case.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yes. IEEPA and NEA both kind of stem from like Cold War era. But mm-hmm. yeah, they were invoked, like IEEPA was invoked after 9-11 by Bush to block assets of terrorist organizations. That's an example of how it, be, how it would be used.
2: Right. So I guess they're saying TikTok and WeChat, they're saying the level of threat is on the scale of 9-11.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's that threat, threat- to national security, you know?
2: Yeah. That's insane.
3: I just looked up this list of uh, declared national emergencies on uh, Wikipedia. I mean, the last one is blocking property of certain persons associated with the International Criminal Court. Before that was the coronavirus before you know some of that you got like borders with Mexico so that that's the level we're working
0: about yeah and i think that's important because i think the media has not really been properly framing this because a lot of what i see reported is about how oh like this is about american competitiveness like we want there to be like fair competition and vague you know hints that tiktok or whatever has stolen american technology is this idea that this is like a sort of business driven decision And it's not. It has nothing to do, at least, you know, in the legal formality of it, it has nothing to do with trying to protect the U.S. social network industry or whatever. Like this is about saying that these Chinese applications pose a threat to national security.
3: Also, with WeChat, you will not get any public sympathy because either people don't know what it is, or the only time they ever hear about WeChat is when some like Asian American journalist goes to write for like the New York Times and talks about how all their, uh, you know, racist Chinese parents go do their like Chinese racism in these WeChat chat rooms. I would not be surprised if you polled Americans like what's better, like WeChat or Stormfront. I would not be surprised if like Stormfront came up higher because at least they would have serious dedicated supporters. Like nobody except maybe a few like older Chinese people really use WeChat and derive direct benefit from
0: it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think it has a very good image in the US for sure. I mean, TikTok in some ways is you know better because like young influencers use it. Well, yeah, because like all these politicians, brat kids are on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> They'll probably rise up if they got it stolen from them. Yeah. So the challenge, I thought, was... I always thought that they would definitely challenge this. I thought that there were certainly going to be some sort of like legal issues that were introduced by this. It was disappointing to see the the media really not take a magnifying glass to this and tear it apart the way that they've done for a lot of Trump's orders, like, for example, the immigration orders and stuff that got ripped to shreds by the courts. And I think that we anticipated that that would happen. You know, the Muslim bans, right? Like we knew that these were racist in nature, that they were Uh, likely illegal. Uh, And again, they were raised as part of uh, national security, national security grounds. There was an immediate reaction to be like, look, you're violating someone's rights here. This is like a problem in the sense that we've got like a constitutional issue going on here. You know, the lawyers were like immediately deployed to the airports and everything. Come on, Tane, you of all people would definitely not have expected. There's nowhere near the kind of like political or, or social
3: capital to sticking up for the Chinese as there is for like Muslims.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And it really brings to mind things like Korematsu and all the other internment cases where because Japan was seen as a foreign enemy or threat, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't...
2: I feel like it's less about social capital as much as the fear that like, this is actually a national security issue. And that is racist and Orientalist for sure, but it's not just like, who has more
0: clout? Yeah, I think that's that's the thing, right, is that we have, I think, on um, broadly accepted that we are in some sort of power struggle with China and that China is definitely doing some fucked up spy. You know, like they just arrested an NYPD officer for being a Chinese spy.
2: A Tibetan officer. Yeah,
0: there is a lot of shit going on in terms of, you know, this kind of escalation of the conflict. And yeah, for me, I think it it really is about viewing Chinese as a threat and really sort of kind of forgetting that there is such a thing as a Chinese American.
2: Yeah, it's a racist threat. The fear of the threat is a racist fear. But everybody here is so wrapped up in it that they can't see it as racist.
0: Right.
1: And to it's one step further on uh, the lack of barrier between a Chinese American and a Chinese person, a Chinese national.
2: It's a complete conflation. That's right. Now they're targeting Zoom which is a Chinese American company. Yeah,
1: that's actually a little beyond what I was what I was talking about, although that's that's a very good point, and I hope we get back to that. In this case, if you want to compare it to say the immediate liberal response to the Muslim travel ban, the difference there is that there is a built-in body of liberal support for Muslims in this case. And this is by no means comparing the two the, we're not we're just comparing the responses here. We're not we're not trying to do a comparative study in who gets it worse in America, by any means. In that confrontation, it's unambiguous that the United States is the powerful aggressor and the liberal framing of this 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 struggle, it's the U.S. against a much, much weaker combatant. And this provides philosophical and ideological room to provide cover for its citizens, for its people who are trying to come here. The perception of it is different when we're talking about the U.S. versus China, where China is viewed as a very powerful, potentially more powerful enemy. In that case, in which case the ideological line simply becomes which side do you want to win? It's it becomes very very binary in that case.
0: Yeah, I think li- you're, I think liberals. I mean, they had a bona fide interest in not going to war. You know, in 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 Iraq or Afghanistan, there were. There was strong opposition to even engaging in war, and I think that was like a bonafide position.
3: Wait, wait, by liberals, who do you mean? Do you, like, because you don't mean Democrats, right? Do you mean like the average like
0: progressive person on the street? Uh, well, no, I mean like doves, right? I think there was. I think there definitely was like a post nine eleven, maybe harder to find, but I think there was a lot of popular sentiment
1: as the years went on. Yeah, popular sentiment for you know popular anti war sentiment was building. Uh, Largely on humanitarian grounds, too.
0: Yeah, and and also just people didn't want to get drafted. You know, like, you know, people didn't want to Mm -hmm. relive, uh, you know, the horrors um, of past wars. So I think there was a definite contingent of people that did not want war.
1: There was a strong moral case. Mm -hmm. Uh, That moral case is uh, completely absent in this one. And the reason it's absent is the perceived power equity between the U.S. and China in this case, which makes it just a team sport. Do, are you throwing in on the side of the US, you know, your home team or, you know, the Chinese? There is very little moral consideration put on
0: this. I think that would be similar to the lead up to World War II and Japan. Because I think once Japan mm-hmm. had attacked Pearl Harbor, there's really, there's no pacifist ground at that point. I mean, Japan is now your enemy, you know, and yeah. caught in the, in, the, in the crossfire of that clearly were Japanese or Americans of Japanese descent.
2: Yeah, but even even before 1941, you know, there was probably two or three decades of very racist antagonism building and like economic sanctions, severance of economic ties between the US and Japan.
0: Very similar to what's going on now with China.
2: Yeah, exactly. They had an exception for Japanese people to enter the US even after the Chinese Exclusion Act and the um, Immigration Act, which just banned like everybody from Asia, except for Japan. But then slowly that started uh, being taken away with like the War Brides Act or no, what was it? The Picture Brides Act, something like that. But that was like in the 20s. And gradually, it just became more and more antagonistic until they were just completely separate empires, basically.
1: Yeah, that's a good parallel, actually. I mean, the extent of trade relations wasn't anywhere near the scale that US-China trade relations are. But towards the end of the 1800s, Japan was being set up by America and Europe to be the ruler of Asia. Mm -hmm. They were explicitly set up for that. This is a part of Asian American history that's a little, uh, that's a little obscured, I think. Like, no one knows about the Iwakura mission. And I was a little astonished to find out the extent of that that's, you know, a diplomatic mission where an actual prince of Japan and his delegation traveled America and Europe for two years, meeting heads of state, uh, royal families, and basically driving support for making the case for Japan to be the civilized steward of East Asia. That's how they got their legitimacy in, ex- in colonial expansionism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's and again, as the tides turned in the twenty in the twentieth century, they they crossed the line, they they stepped out of bounds a little bit, and that's when the antagonism started building up.
2: And in that case, too, it was super racist and orientalist in the Western media. The Japanese Empire was made out to be this um, superior enemy superior to the West, in for whatever reason, and like that gave legitimacy to why it needed to be stopped. And I guess the orientalist part is like, they're assuming that they shouldn't be superior because they're an inferior race. So they were at once like the indomitable, like superior enemy and also like the completely inferior, completely weak enemy at the same time.
3: Yeah, I think if you scratch uh, beneath the kind of white Western mindset, whether they're liberal or conservative, yeah, they might think the you know Japanese or Chinese or just kind of like East Asia in general are inferior. But there is no other people in the world who are a direct civilizational threat. If you look at like the history or anything, so anytime like something comes out of East Asia, they they always kind of freak out and adjust to what you were saying. You know, like even at the height of like Islamophobia, did did anyone but like the most hardcore right wingers really think that? A new caliphate was going to get set up in the world. Like even when I was a kid, I was like, "This doesn't, you know, these people like can't even, you know, run run their own country or something." But then you see China and you know the, the country's like four times the size of the u.s um i and recently i did i just looked up um you know what are the biggest cities in china compare it to the u.s where like new york would like be number 10 la would be like 25th and i i think americans can kind of grasp that and that like freaks them out that, that's why that's why i think china is is very different from you know what what we've seen the only thing comparable is maybe like the ussr like the soviet union but
2: well, no, I mean nobody sees the USSR as like some civilizational threat, some existential civilizational threat.
3: Right. That that was the Kyron Skinner quote, right? That right. Uh, you know we love. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but like you see you saw the same thing with um Japan in the auto industry in the eighties. Their products are superior, they're so much better than us. They're gonna take over and overrun the whole world, you know? So it's not so much about the size because If it was about the size, then you would have the same reaction to the USSR, but it's more about the racialized nature of what's going on.
3: It's like if you combine the Soviet Union and Japan, it's like you get China. (laughs) It's like the the, the
2: Venn diagram of like Red Scare and Yellow Peril. Yeah.
0: I want to frame this a little bit, um, offer an alternative framing as to what's going on, because in this case... You know, with, with respect to what's going on in China, what's respect, with respect to what's going on here. Like, I've never feel more as a Chinese American than in this case because my interests don't really align with China here. My interests don't, you know, my interests really are more determined by what's going on in America. I think that it's hard to – because now it's sort of like framed as this zero-sum competition and we either win, Chinese lose, or the Chinese win and we lose. And I, th- I think a lot of that is kind of bullshit and racist. But what I really think is going on here, and I'll offer this, is that the U.S. has a lot of a lot of stuff that's going on right now, I believe is really more about internal issues in the United States. I don't think that China's really presenting the threat. I think China is a good way for us to sort of get ourselves to fascism as a way to solve a lot of internal problems. And one of them, mm-hmm. I think, is that, you know, we're having a really hard time. If you are someone like Trump or someone who wants to sort of like unify America towards a sort of like singular culture, singular goal where we can all work together, we're unified, we're strong in a fascist sense. One of the problems is that we cannot get control of the internet. The internet is like this place where people go and lose their fucking minds and we can't get everyone on board. Trump has sort of signaled to say like, you know, that he wants $5 billion cut from the TikTok deal. To implement a new like youth education program where he's going to teach. Didn't you call it the 1776 project? Yeah. An obvious
3: uh, rebuttal <laughs> yes. to the yeah,
0: yeah. To that New York Times thing. I mean, super fascist in nature, right? Like Trump Youth Corps. And, and, and of course, using a Chinese, uh, essentially like a, a tax on Chinese social network to fund it. I think that the way that they're getting towards that is implementing a sort of starting to chip away at fundamental First Amendment rights for all Americans, but using chinese as the f- sort of first victim and that way you won't have a lot of popular objection to what's going on right because the chinese in this case are sort of like like the test case so we're going to learn we're going to try and take away you know see what we can do in terms of like shutting down information networks that we don't like online but we're going to start with the chinese and so no one's going to object. And so if you see in the press, you don't like, again, like I see, I don't see a lot of, you know, outrage over what's going on about WeChat. So I would like to frame this to say, you know, I think that as an American, we owe a lot and we have a lot vested in the outcome of this lawsuit by the U.S. WeChat users alliance. It's a funny sounding name, obviously. It's uh, people that want to keep in touch with their Chinese relatives and stuff.
1: It looks like it was a pretty recently formed organization. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think they formed just for this lawsuit. Oh, no,
1: no. Of course. Of course they were. I, I don't think there's an or year over year convening to like talk
0: about how great it is to use WeChat. <laughs> No, 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 no. Of course, of course, they were. I'm just saying that the the, the, those who thought to do this,
1: yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, you know, and and you know, they're online. Like, there's a lot of organization going on. I think there's like GoFundMe where they've raised over a quarter million dollars. I mean, they're taking this to the Supreme Court. They've hired major outside law firm to to do this. They are taking this very seriously, and they have already achieved uh you know pretty good outcome in federal court. And I'll just read this section. Uh, So the injunction was granted because. So just to explain, this injunction is to basically to say we're suing the government because we don't think what the government did is legal, banning WeChat. And so the first question is, well, okay, this is going to be a trial. It's going to take some time, months, right? Maybe a year, I don't know, to finally get to the bottom of this after all your appeals, we go to the Supreme Court, all that stuff. So the first question is What do we do in the meantime? If we've got months or a year or more, you know, to the outcome of this, what do we do with respect to the ban for that intervening amount of time? And what this group is saying is like, we want an injunction, meaning the court is going to tell the government, you can't do this until after the case is over. If they don't get that injunction, then what what happens is we chat would have been banned on Sunday, and it would take a successful trial to sort of like reinstate it. So this was like a major victory for them to get this injunction because as of Sunday, WeChat is still available in all the app stores.
2: Having the injunction granted means that the judge feels that the plaintiffs are likely to win, right? They're likely to succeed based on this First Amendment appeal.
0: Exactly. So, so the re- the way they decide whether the court decides whether to grant the injunction or not is a sort of like initial estimate as to the strength of uh, the case, of the strength of the lawsuit. They found the court found that there was a likelihood of success on the merits with respect to the First Amendment claim. And so I'll just read from the order that on this record, the plaintiffs, the US WeChat users group, has shown a serious questions going to the merits of their First Amendment claim that the secretary's prohibited transactions effectively eliminate the plaintiff's key platform for communication, slow or eliminate discourse, and are the equivalent uh, censorship of speech or a prior restraint on it. What that order says is like, What the government is doing here in terms of banning an entire platform, a network, amounts to censorship of speech. And that is prohibited under the First Amendment. That's a major finding, in my opinion. And I think that is going to be the claim that's going to be tested probably up to the Supreme Court. And it's a major case. It's a major test of what freedom of speech even means in the Internet era. I mean, this is going to affect, you know, life in the internet age much more broadly than just with respect to WeChat and the US WeChat users group is my point. Yeah,
2: no, I, I totally agree.
0: Yeah, like we have to start seeing that this was brought up in the sort of like general public interest, not just in the interest of Chinese Americans who want to keep their favorite app.
3: But Tin, when you said that um, people go to the internet to lose their minds, the thing that came to my mind though is that there are a lot of interests, you know, outside of just say like crazy national security people or whatever, who do have a vested interest in cleaning up the internet and making sure it's a place that, you know, people don't go to lose their minds or become poisoned. And that. That's kind of why it's, it's a good move on, you know, like, like their part to use WeChat as the test case, because like to them, they can frame it as a oh, WeChat's this place where, you know, these, these Chinese go and, and you know, they, they, they're trying to kill affirmative action, you know, trying, when they're trying to say appeal to, to people across the aisle and, and all that shit. To make it seem as if um, it's in everyone's interest to like clean up the American internet, because you, you got like, you got, all, you got all these like dirty Chinese spies and all that. Yeah, I think that's part of the strategy.
1: I'm not actually sure why they went directly for WeChat. I don't know why they didn't go for Alipay first. We already have precedent for conflating money with free speech, and given the volume of actual like like transactions, like Alipay has a much bigger presence on US soil than WeChat does. So this is it's just, to me, a little, uh, a little odd. I, and I'm going to be keeping that in my mind. Why did they go for WeChat first? There were other Chinese national uh, or affiliated with Chinese uh, national products there that actually have much more.
0: I think the answer is because WeChat is a major communications application. Also, Jess, before you
3: mentioned it, I, I did not even heard of Alipay. So maybe that's one reason because WeChat has that reputation and people, if they know of it, it's probably negative.
1: So it's only in my head because, I mean, if I do business online, like I I accept Alipay, that's directly from China. There's other products that facilitate uh, financial transactions too. And by volume, they're absolutely enormous. People sometimes transfer money to buy homes uh, using Alipay.
0: We should clarify the nature of these orders. So first is that the powers that the president has under the IEPA go towards transactions. And these orders go towards transactions, meaning they can't ban the use of a communications platform. That's actually been excluded from the powers of the IEPA, right? Trump can't ban a messaging platform, but he can ban a transactions platform, right? And so what they're doing, I think, is I don't think that their interest necessarily is in banning the payment side of this. I think that they're real interest, because even like you said, even if the payment volumes are high, not in the U.S. Like I don't think you know an Alipay or a WeChat is anything close to even like an Apple or a Square. No, it's not. So I don't think that they're really concerned about you know the encroachment of like Chinese payment networks into the U.S. I do think that, and you raise a good point, like why WeChat. I think because WeChat and WeChat Pay are so, are integrated into a single app, it sort of gives them a sort of backdoor way into banning a communications platform, even though that is not permitted. The challenge, there were other challenges by the group on legal grounds to say that that's effectively what the Trump administration was doing. They weren't banning transactions. They were banning communications networks. And that was rejected because actually WeChat is a payment network. But what they kept was this first amendment Mm. challenge, which is to say, even though you're banning transactions, even though it's, you know, within your power under the IEPA to ban transactions, the fact that you're making it difficult for people to get access to a communications platform is so enshrined a right. It's so important a right in America under American law the freedom of speech, that this, despite being a valid exercise of the IEPA, is a violation of First Amendment rights.
1: Mm. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense.
0: And I think that that was their intention. I think that they actually did want to shut down these wechat groups where you know people are talking in private chat rooms in chinese that you know we can't necessarily spy on or if we do we can, you know we can't keep up with what's being said because we don't understand the lingo and this fear of what's being said <laughs> in there you know
2: another thing is the wechat users they also know that they're being surveilled by the ccp and so there is a lot of coded lingo mm-hmm. you know in in the communications because Like, they always have to keep up with that censorship as well. Right, right. I totally agree with everything that you said, Teen, about how this is the Trump administration trying to infringe on, like, overall social media and, like, First Amendment rights. Because this is totally in the conservative playbook. Like, this is how they uh, approach women's rights, too. So, like, the way that they're looking to overturn Roe v. Wade for the past few years has been to attack, to to get voters to vote for, like, repressing or, like, not allowing abortions done by, like, Asian women, like, South Asian, East Asian, Southeast Asian women, on the basis that those women are going to be getting abortions for female fetuses. Oh, I
1: remember that. Yeah. So, it's basically death by a thousand cuts. Exactly. So, yeah, that makes, that's totally in line with, with the playbook here, which again reemphasizes this isn't a tantrum. This is a very methodical, very well planned out plan of action that's being executed right now, which means that this is not the end game Mm -hmm. either.
2: Yeah. I think they also are testing the waters to see exactly what they can get away with with this WeChat ban because it's super, super broad. It also like prohibits US citizens from using WeChat abroad. If you're an American and you travel to China, you wouldn't be able to use WeChat. And then um, there's a part that I thought was really, really unsettling in the text itself.
0: I mean, because you you pointed out, I think that there are criminal penalties for violating this ban, so.
2: Yeah, 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 that's what I was trying to get to. One million dollars and 20 years in prison.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which, which, which I doubt they'll, they'll enforce, but that is the technical, like, there, there are sanctions involved if you are to use WeChat in, uh, for example, to make a payment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, this, this isn't just something that applies to Tencent. This is a prohibition on U.S. persons or however broadly that's defined. It's not just citizens, but it is illegal uh, to use WeChat in prohibited ways and that you will face personal sanction for doing that.
2: What counts as a transaction?
0: They don't know. See, that's another part of it is we, nobody really knows.
2: Yeah, the Secretary of Commerce says that they're not going to give prior notice to what is actually a transaction and what measures will be taken because advanced notice, quote unquote, would render those measures ineffectual. So it's like you don't know what you're being targeted for or what the penalty is, but you will face sanctions for using WeChat somehow.
3: That sounds like a very perverse uh, theory of law where it's like, you're, we're not going to tell you what's illegal so we can like find an excuse to put you in prison.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: it's deterrence,
3: yeah. But deterrence would be if they let you know what you can't do, so you wouldn't do it to scare you. But it's like, we're not going to tell you, so we want you to commit the crime so we can catch you. It's kind of like they're trying to entrap you in some way.
0: I mean, I, I don't think they know what they want to do. You know, I think that they've just you know, put this on notice to be like, we can do this, you know? And I think that's a major uh, aspect of, of going after WeChat Uh, in TikTok as well. It is, you know, it's like those what freedom of navigation things were like, we just like, you know, sail a uh, U.S. warship right, skirting right on the border of Iran or something like that with guns out and everything. It's not like we really want to do anything. We just want to show you we could do it if we wanted to. Like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do this. And I think this is a case where the Trump administration is showing like, look, we will fucking do this if we want to. Like, we will make your app illegal. And uh, nothing can stop us from doing this. I have, this is a national security thing. I'm a wartime president. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And in that sort of scenario, you kind of need someone to stand up against this. You know, and I think this is the part that I like, I just want to communicate this on this pod is, you know, I don't think anyone's ever going to thank this WeChat users group for doing this. And I don't think that that's what they're after. I think they probably do want to just use WeChat to some extent. But I think that they're taking a principled stand here, and it is sort of like an important thing that's done on behalf of Americans generally. When we have a tyrannical gov- you know, administration like we have now, and they want to ex- flex the ways in which that they can do whatever the fuck they want, uh, the Constitution be damned, uh, that some group, someone has to stand up to that. Right, and that's this case. And despite the fact that there's no media coverage of this, there's no concern about this generally. Uh, the rights of Chinese Americans to use WeChat is not really considered very important uh, for whatever reason, because of racism or because of es- being just being very esoteric. I don't know. Nonetheless, the group of people that are l- lodging this lawsuit and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of money uh, to do this, personal money, is, I think, a heroic effort to an extent. And I think that to the extent people want to you know, know about this story, they should think about that.
1: Are, uh, are these guys accepting donations?
0: Yeah, there. Yeah, we could, we can could put a link in the show notes to the GoFundMe. But yeah,
3: yeah. Also, if you have no interest in like the First Amendment, we should still stick up for WeChat because they have the cutest stickers. So you know that's yes, why excellent stickers. That's why I'll stick up for them.
0: <laughs> yes, excellent. Stickers.
1: This is also this is part of the tech war too. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the step two is uh, a horrible deal, where the concession is some awful deal where Facebook takes over American function for WeChat or something.
3: Well, Trump's trying to give it to his buddy-buddy uh, Larry Ellison at Oracle.
1: Right. This is part of expanding the American tech fiefdom as well. So the next front to watch out for is Europe and South and Central America. Uh, I'm sure Europe right now is regretting, to a great extent, not actually being a little more protectionist with their tech industries. They are completely dominated by U.S. tech products. There's very little homegrown industry there uh and that's that's the sheer power of of america in that case so if europe starts to take a page out of china's book um and starts to pull back provide a little bit more protectionism for their own industries wall off uh encroachment by uh by facebook by google um all of these horrible evil companies then we're going to see that's the next wave of escalation in my opinion
0: yeah and i think i think that's a sad thing because i think what's going on here is Uh, You know, China has their model as to how speech uh, on the Internet goes and and the level of government control over it. And having spent time in China, I can say that that's one aspect of China that I detest. Of all the things that America would learn from China, of all the things that we could take from (laughs) what they're doing, we choose the absolute most horrible thing and say that, oh, we're going to do that, too. All the other stuff, fuck it. You know, we're not gonna like we're not gonna do any economic planning. We're not gonna do any. No, we're not gonna. No bullet trains. Yeah, no bullet trains. The-
1: we're not gonna do actual populism. We're just gonna do the. We're just gonna go right to the, the the repressive side. Yeah.
0: No Paris Accords. No electric buses. No electric cars. You know all that stuff. All the stuff that China's doing that's cool. We're not gonna do. But when it comes to censoring the internet, oh, we like that. We're gonna do that. I can tell you, like, it sucks to have to be stuck inside the Chinese internet. You know, especially as an American, when when you have all these other services that you're trying to access and the idea of the Internet that's like walled off like that, it just sucks. It really defeats the purpose of the Internet. Now, I think, you know, that is under attack in the United States. We're moving towards that where we're starting to see that so much of the Internet is actually privately controlled by Zuckerberg. Like we're at a point where like the uh, progressive woke thing to do is to lobby a Mark Zuckerberg to regulate political speech on Facebook. It's so gross. (laughs) Like that, that's somehow become the progressive thing is for Zuckerberg to actually regulate speech. We're, you know, we're going in a pretty bad way with respect to, which is a pretty American tradition of free speech. And so when I see Chinese people, Chinese Americans spending hundreds of thousands of dollars lodging a legal challenge to the Trump administration in defense of their free speech rights, I see that as fundamentally American. And it, it really sort of in my mind mm. is sad or maybe it's telling, it's revealing that that's been lost on us. That the sort of like never surrender on, you know, end of you your first amendment rights, you know, in this case is what, what's going on, like it's just not being picked up on as, you know, a story worth telling. Uh meanwhile, we're here lobbying to say, oh, you know, Facebook needs to do more to make sure fake news doesn't get through and that we need tighter control over what's said on the internet and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's it's very not recognizable to me as an American. I guess I, I guess I just wanted to get that point across when I, when I read this order. I was like, you know, these people are doing all of us a favor. Uh, but for one reason or another, it's just not, you know, being told.
1: I will be following this case very closely on two fronts. One, because it's of interest to me as an Asian American. Second, as an American, as you pointed out. Third, as someone whose career is in this industry. The way it's going right now, it's actually, regardless of how, I know it's it's catastrophic to lose the one method of communication with China in this case. I'm not discounting that at all. People aren't properly acknowledging how disruptive a decision like this is on the industry at large here. This will ultimately backfire worse on us. Like, I don't, I, this is, this is suicidal to me. This is absolutely uh, a short sighted, suicidal rampage to me that only has the potential to drag America down into the gutter here, socially, economically. It's affecting how I develop business plans for stuff I want to build. I mean, I watch what Zuckerberg is, it, it, the pressure on him. And that's not a burden that actually any one person should. That's not his job. It would. It really actually fucking sucks that he is being appealed to as uh, some authority on what should and should not exist on the internet.
0: It's bizarre. It's a bizarre position to be like, hey, uh, Mark, could you please, could you please start reading? You know,
1: Can you decide personally what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong? We're, we're, this is a, a phenomenal amount of power we are actually handing over to him personally. I, I don't understand why we d- why, why we think like this. And he has a line that he has to say because he's beholden to his bottom line and to shareholders. But this is a dead end for Facebook itself too, to foist all of that responsibility onto this platform this is where public and private actually collaborate to strengthen each other in this case we need publicly defined rules for what acceptable and unacceptable speech is in this case this is more than a sovereign we're we're di- we're asking him to distill and integrate an entire society's values one person on one platform is in charge of all of that
2: he's basically a technocrat or like that's what we're expecting him to be yeah
1: Even in the criticism of him by saying he should do this, we are giving him that power to do that. We are saying, this is your responsibility. We have given that to him. Even when we're saying, like, you're not living up to it, you're evil, you're wrong, we're implicitly saying you were supposed to have done this. That's not his job. Facebook is floundering because we don't have strong, publicly defined standards for what free speech is, what the line is between abusive content these are all line, ethical lines that I have to walk in developing the stuff that I do, uh, and it's really hard because there is no guideline for it. Except, and we over, and we are over reliant on individual sense of morality for this. This gets to the heart of this cancel culture thing, right? We we are testing people for their personal morals, for their values, right, indexed to identity. Uh, markers oftentimes, because we want them to be, to have the fortitude to be able to, quote, do the right thing. I, th- I think a generation of movies just rotted people's brains. But we want individuals to stand up and, quote, do the right thing. That's not how this works.
2: It's also like a moral quandary that AI is dealing with in general. And that's
1: all d- driven by people who are floundering because we don't have standards for this. Like one thing that I'm very relieved about is that we have such a clear standard for pornographic content, right? That's actually very clear. What counts as uh, acceptable, what counts as not. That's actually very well laid out. A lot of precedent judicial rulings that laid out the guidelines for this stuff. That that makes it so easy because it's basically saying we have a socially agreed upon set of standards for this one topic, for this one uh, air, sub piece of subject matter that I can design around. When I'm developing this, it makes it, if someone's like, well, aren't you curtailing someone's free speech by censoring that content? Like, well, asshole, that's against federal law to allow. Take it up with your elected officials in that case. It's not my problem. This is not my call. In other words, Facebook would actually be so much stronger if there were strong sets of standards that we all could come to some agreement on via our elected officials. We don't have that, so we just rely on weak standards of morality.
0: I just find it depressing that people actually are still on Facebook. I mean, I haven't been on there in ages, and then I went back, and it, it's, it looks horrible. I don't know why people are still on <laughs> on Facebook. They really just hey, quit. If you
3: were like <laughs> in your teens or early 20s in the first decade of the 2000s, it was, it was the hot shit back then, but now that seems like yeah, a I mean, lifetime Facebook ago. just needs to go away. You want
1: this regulated like a utility in that case, but we're not but we're also not seeing it like that. like what is what's wrong with us?
0: Well, I, I don't know if people really know what they want out of Facebook. I don't know if we really know what we want out of any of this stuff. I don't think anyone actually understands what what well, well I think people with power understand. like I think that, for example, like the way that Facebook can disrupt or consolidate power uh, for those people, this makes sense. like they know what they want. Uh, because it affects their position but for like just your average person like that goes on facebook to like just check to see what your friends are up to like who gives a shit a lot of this stuff makes a lot more sense when you're on the other side of the server and for for users it's kind of like i don't know whatever the fuck i just log on to to check messages or keep in touch or you know whatever
1: i just need people who take this stuff seriously to understand just how much contempt the people who own this stuff feel for their users. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It would be great if you didn't give them more of yourself than they were willing to give to you, which is nothing.
0: Just deactivate your account. If you're on Facebook, I should say that I have not yet deactivated my account and I've, I've long wanted to, for some reason I don't. That's because well, you know you're addicted. No, I don't even go on the damn thing, but I just, for some reason, like I don't want to, I, I don't know. I feel like I should just like.
2: Well, you should. There's a lot of older people on it now. Yeah, doesn't matter. All the relatives that you don't really talk to that often, but you know that they want you to be on there so they can see that you're there, and then they post all of you know the fake news shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's I guess that's valid. I'm
1: just antisocial. It's blocked the DNS level in my house.
3: Do we want to talk about TikTok? Is there anything like specially different about that than the WeChat discussion? I
0: think there is. It's interesting because I think TikTok, uh, because it's more like widely used, it's not really like a Chinese language app. There are alternatives to to TikTok. So when they started talking about the TikTok ban, like immediately people are like, "Oh, I'm going to go to Reels, the the latest Facebook ripoff of you know their competitor." Yeah, they're going to go to Reels or they're going to go to Instagram Stories or whatever. Like, there's, there's a million competitors that they could go to. And it's interesting because I think that uh for that reason, because WeChat is this niche sinocentric app, you know, there was less of a concern from a First Amendment perspective with respect to TikTok. Because you could kick all the TikTok influencers off and they could just go somewhere else. It's no problem. But if you and this was an important part of the complaint, was if you don't let the Chinese community in America uh, the Chinese speaking community in America have access to WeChat. They're fucked. They don't have any other alternative. And I was glad to see that the court took that really seriously. You know, I think that needs to be said. Like, I think that there's, there's, there's something to be said here about, uh, the integrity of the law. What we're looking at here, I think, is something that has constantly reared its head when it comes to these types of legal questions. Does national security trump everything else? Because I think that's kind of the position of, you know, every president now is like, I can do whatever I want. Constitution be damned because I'm dealing with issues of national security. And so when Korematsu was litigated, uh, I think in the 80s, was it or something?
2: Korematsu was in the 40s.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That
2: was like 1944.
0: Yeah, sorry. Korematsu got repudiated in the 80s. Okay, so in the, when it was in the uh, 40s, the decision was basically like, look, we were at war with Japan and we justices are not in charge of conducting that war. So we are not going to interfere. This was part of a war. Okay. I think like in the forties, in a way that that was even more understandable than it is now, because like world war two had like a definite beginning and a definite end. And like, we knew when we were at war and we knew when we were after war and at peace, but now we're at like in this period of like perpetual war, and, uh, you know, the war on terrorism sure is probably still going on. I don't know. Did anyone ever declare an end to that? I don't think so. Now we have this sort of simmering war with China that never had an opening. There was no declaration of war. And I don't think there will ever be a declaration of peace. But the government will constantly contend that you know this is an uh, an issue of national security. National security. It's not just like this stuff. I mean, every realm. Like I remember, because I'd worked on the Dodd Frank stuff as a lawyer after 2008. uh, What happened was, and if you want to understand what the Dodd Frank Wall Street Reform Act really was, it was basically to say that the next time this happens, the next time we have a major bank go become insolvent that that is going to be a matter of national security and that the president can have essentially declare an emergency and do whatever is needed to fix that bank and save the financial system and the courts can't get involved this the constitution the due, due process all that doesn't doesn't apply because it's an issue of national security at this point if a bank fucks up we didn't think that way before but now we do now i'm seeing it apply to Social media, that if we have a social media network that gets too popular or whatever, because it's in its, uh, its owned by uh, a foreign person, a Chinese person or whatever, uh, that that is an issue of national security. And so everything now has been elevated to national security. We're going to see more and more threats to civil liberties
1: under the guise of
0: the protection of civil li- uh,
1: civil liberties.
0: Yeah, they're going to trample all over civil liberties because everything's a damn national security issue now. Using WeChat to catch up with your, you know, with your cousins and shit in China is a national security threat. What isn't a national security threat at this point, I think is a very important question uh, which this case is putting to the test, and I think people should follow this case closely. Yeah, so I don't know. I just wanted to bring this up because I think that I think it's a much more it's a much bigger and more important story than people are giving credence to or or, or credit for. Because this is very much in line with other forms of resistance to uh, the assault on civil civil liberties that Trump has been trying, you know, throughout throughout the past few years.
2: Yeah, I think every one of these is a test case to see what they can get away with next. Like, that was the case with the China virus when Trump started saying that. It was more just like, what can, what can I get away with saying on a national platform? And if people didn't push back on that so hard, he would have kept going and become even more um belligerent. But we did. Uh, there was, like, massive media pushback on this. And, like, I think that these executive orders... They're kind of just like, if we can get away with this, we're going to go for something bigger next time. And I think they're trying that, like, which is why I think they're targeting Zoom now. Because they're saying like, oh, look, if these executive orders for these Chinese companies work, maybe we can get these Chinese American companies.
1: Yeah. Who was that? Who was that op-ed? Yi Zhang Lian, the guy, guy from the uh, Hong Kong. Times?
0: Yeah. He oh, was saying that, that basically God. like Zoom should be considered part of this sort of like pervasive infiltration of American society at every level, American life at every level is being surveilled. And, you know, I mean, it's just the, the most horrendous yellow apparel stuff. I find it increasingly difficult here to uh, hold the line on this stuff, uh, especially when I'm like talking to friends. If I talk about this, like in terms of saying like, you know, this stuff is bullshit. Like all these like accusations about China being, uh, you know, the Fu Manchu shit is bullshit that there's this sort of assumption that I'm being somehow like defensive about China or I'm being protective of China. And I think that's a really unfair thing to say, but I think a lot of Chinese diaspora will find themselves in that position because uh, we are Chinese, right? In that sense. So it'd only be natural to assume that there's some, you know, the way like say Jewish Americans often are accused of being sympathetic to Israel, you know, on some ethnic solidarity basis. But I think that's kind of like unfair because, in this case, I really think like people need to see past. It's not that to me that the Sinophobia is unfair to China. Because again, I don't think China gives a shit whether we're sinophobic or not. China's a big boy. Like China has nukes. China has like a huge economy. China's got means. It's got power. China's fine. Like I, I don't feel worried about China. China. Could
1: go isolationist. They are and going isolationist.
0: That's their that's their official plan.
1: They don't depend on outs on outsiders. That's, not to say that there wouldn't be right. massive disruption, but it's not it's not a fatal stroke,
0: right? So I think that you know the difficult thing here, I think, is to see that pushing back against the Sinophobia is you got to th- we've got to think about it. The same way as if we were to go back to pushing it back against the Red Scare, like say McCarthyism in the fifties, right? Well, before that as well, you know, I don't think we think of McCarthyism as you know something that was unfair to Russian people, like or to Russia. That that wasn't the problem with McCarthyism. It was a way to you know suppress politics that we didn't like. We wanted to suppress like the labor movement in the United States, and we're looking at the results of that. That was the result of Soviet Red Scare, and we're paying the price for that. Not the Russians, not the Soviets. We're paying the price for that. I think the same thing is going on here. Okay, you you ban WeChat today, but you know if they get this through the courts, you know the Trump administration may not like what some other social media company is doing, you know what Facebook is doing or what uh, Twitter is doing. You know, for example, Twitter cens- censoring Trump on numerous occasions. Uh, maybe he bans them. Like we need to see how you know pushing back on cyanophobia has nothing at all to do with protecting the interests of China as a nation or China as a people, but it's really about understanding how it's being used to fuck ourselves over in America.
2: Yeah, and I think that when you say that it's hard for you to push back on this, like yeah, it's hard, but it seems like it's also the most necessary time for us to be pushing back on this. Like we have to push back on this because nobody else is going to. And also like, we're, we're basically at the front lines of civil liberties now, like Chinese Americans, Asian Americans. So like, we need to do this work for everyone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that this is going to become a pretty important piece of Supreme Court jurisprudence. Mm Mm-hmm. Like this is raising a very novel issue that probably has never been litigated before. Whether the ability to access a foreign social network is that a threat to national security, which trumps our inherent right to free speech. That is a huge issue. I I think that it's a meaty First Amendment issue that will probably be granted review by the Supreme Court. At that point, and people got to understand this about the law, like when you get to the Supreme Court, it has nothing to do with the original trial. It's not about the interests of WeChat users at that point. This is about the direction in which American law is going to take based on this event. But now it's going to be applied as a broad doctrine. So there's much more at stake here than WeChat.
2: What do you think is going to happen there, though? Because Korematsu, it was never overturned at at the Supreme Court level. Like, it's still okay that the Japanese were interned because of national security interests. I mean, that's still the precedent.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that goes to show you how dangerous this is. I mean, I wouldn't call mm-hmm. Korematsu precedent, but I think, you know, to understand the status of, of Korematsu, I think it's important to – maybe we can link this too, but, but Scalia gave a talk about Korematsu saying, no self-respecting judge would ever consider Korematsu good law or precedent, however – don't think that it's not going to happen again, you know. And I do think that this is in some ways a digital Korematsu, in that we are talking again about the use of the image of the Asian Fu Manchu threat, the Oriental threat, as a justification for the curtailment of civil liberties, and using an Asian American group to specifically target because. There is less of an invested interest by society as a whole in their rights without understanding that by upholding that, the doctrine, the legal doctrine that allows that has nothing to do with that, whether these people are Asian or not. It would then sort of like justify it in a broader sense that we would say that access to a digital network is something that is so threatening. The first amendment just doesn't apply in that case. So, a huge swath of the First Amendment just falls away when it comes to accessing public networks on the internet, and that has nothing to do with Asian people. That's just sort of like a general proposition that's being tested that's going to be tested in this case. so I don't know sorry, that's enough uh, lecturing about that.
2: I guess there's also um like the precedent that an online space is considered a public space, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was brought up. That was a theme that was brought up over mm-hmm. and over. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think I just want to make that clear on this podcast in case like people are not clear about that because you're, you're basically like discriminating based on race and ethnicity. All these Chinese people and Chinese speaking people from accessing a public space essentially.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I think the I think the way to think about this is at least the way the court framed it was to say like imagine there is a public square where Chinese Americans by habit come and congregate regularly to to interact, to socialize, to talk, to, you know, do mm-hmm. whatever.
2: Yeah, this is I mean this is more reminiscent of like the Jim Crow laws that said no more than like three black people could congregate at once. It has
0: that. It has that effect. Has that effect. And this I, isn't
2: just oh, you can't talk to your uncle. Yeah, that's what that's the effect it is having.
0: It, yeah, and the court specifically, you know, is recognizing that here. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they and they were able to get the court to recognize that, and I think that's a huge win. Mm-hmm. You know, not just for themselves, but for the proposition that these you know very long and old and deep traditions in America. Re- Regarding free speech mm-hmm. applies to the internet, yeah, you know, I think that's it, like the fact that they're in this case already starting to analogize online networks to physical spaces uh could form the basis of a very important legal doctrine going forward and how to think about mm-hmm. speech on the internet
2: so the um the trial is in northern california it's in San Francisco. Do you feel like in another court, it would have happened the same way?
0: No, I, I think that they were probably smart in specifically picking Northern district of California to lodge this, uh, to, to lodge this lawsuit,
3: another reason for the right wingers to hate the Ninth Circuit.
0: Yeah, WeChat is, is accessible anywhere in America, so they probably could have lodged this lawsuit anywhere. They chose Northern District of California, probably because the judges there are aware that Chinese Americans form a large part of American society, that they're you know uh, assimilated into American society, etc. No doubt that that went into the, the the calculation as to where to lodge the lawsuit. Uh, and good for them because they should, uh, they really should win this, uh, lawsuit. And I hope that I wish that more Americans were behind this lawsuit. We're understanding what's at stake. But unfortunately, because it has to do with the rights of Chinese Americans, it, it just doesn't register as high on the list of priorities. But nonetheless, it's going to form a very important, you know, legal precedent going forward. So whether people recognize it or not, it still has that effect.
2: It, it's not being reported on at all, or it's like Barely. being reported on very derisively. TikTok is taking over the news of, you know, like like both these executive orders were filed on the same day, but TikTok is the only one that the media is reporting on. Personally, I think it's um, it's kind of a cover for the WeChat order.
0: Well, I think there's a general shift in, in, in uh, a very dangerous shift. Uh, And that's bipartisan in scope that says that I think we need to regulate Internet speech uh, with a much more heavy hand than we have been. You all remember that article and it got passed around a lot in the Atlantic um, by that Harvard law professor. I forgot his name, but basically saying that the Chinese were right, that the Americans have got it wrong, that we need to emulate the Chinese more when it comes to the way we regulate speech online.
3: Yeah, I remember that. You're going to have this like joining of forces because there are going to be these people who say, you got, you got to get rid of racism on the Internet. You got to get rid of like, you know, homophobia, sexism. And then if you can like combine those people with the Trump people, you, you got to, you got pretty much almost the
0: whole country, right? Yeah. I mean, both sides have, you know, their vested interests in, in regulating speech on the Internet. And I think that that sets up something very interesting is... You know, in some ways, you could see that this lawsuit is, is sort of defensive of China and they the Chinese so interested in WeChat and being protective of the Chinese. But in many ways, this is a slap in the face to the Chinese model. This is as, as American as you get in terms of trying to distinguish between the American system and the Chinese system. And you know me, like I generally think that a lot of what we say about what the Chinese are and how they're different from us is overblown. But when it comes to regulation of speech online, for sure, the Chinese do it differently. And for sure, as an American, if you go to China, you're going to hate it. (laughs) And so, and that's just how it is. And I, I really don't think that we should be learning from the Chinese on that front, but it appears that of all the things that, you know, the liberals and the right wingers have a sort of uh, jealousy of how the Chinese do it. And we want, you know, we want, we covet how they do things. Yeah. Maybe those
3: Americans just don't like it in China. Cause it's not tailored to us. If it were tailored to us, English
0: our you know, customs and manners. We, we think it was the shit and we can imagine that now, you know, we're saying, Oh, the Chinese yeah. have this advantage that they can suppress, all this stuff that we have to deal with. How ironic is it that it's you know a bunch of Chinese people in America who are lodging this lawsuit to say, "No, you cannot regulate the internet this way. This is America."
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a bunch of traitors! Remember when uh, I was talking about MoviePass with a uh, with someone recently, and remember there was like that theory going around how MoviePass right, was yeah, a CIA. Yeah funded thing to get more americans to go to the movies so that there would be more of like a national monoculture again as opposed to everyone just doing their crazy
0: shit on on tiktok or whatever we could all believe it we're like that makes sense i still think i still think that there was an aspect to it which was cia driven
2: (laughs) yeah of course there's an elite interest in controlling the communication of the masses it makes total sense
0: yeah. This is one of these things like if you're like a legal nerd, someone who's really interested in civil liberties, you know, whatever. This is like a really really meaty case. It's got everything. I think that there's just sort of uh, unfortunately uh, a sort of lack of interest cuz people are like what the fuck is WeChat? Why do, why do I care? You know. <laughs> but we'll see. I think if it goes up to the Supreme Court, the intention will pick up.
2: I don't think it should be just like civil liberties nerds who are interested in it. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody who's interested in social justice at all, you know, like everybody listening to this, they should really care about this. I find it like most similar to, um, remember the guy, uh, those two guys, those two black guys who were sitting at Starbucks waiting for their friend and the manager of the starbucks called the police on them
1: yeah for sure because yeah, they weren't buying that.
2: they were just like <laughs> loitering and yeah. so the case became like is starbucks a public space that people are allowed to wait in and that was like a huge thing for i think like 2019 or something like that if, that Im- that impacted how people perceive what is a public and what is private space all over the country And I think like people cared about that because it was a black-white conflict and that's easily recognizable as like an issue of race and an infringement of civil liberties. But when it comes to Asians, there's just nothing. There's just no understanding of that. And I think that's another problem is that like we don't even understand ourselves why this is such a big issue you know and like we we have to get it through our heads that like our issues matter they matter for civil liberties in this country for everybody that's right and like we got to we got to stick up for our rights like i think it's kind of so so stupid and racist that the reaction to you defending wechat is well why are you defending china and it's like it's not about china it's about americans it's about us as americans this is who it's going to affect. Like, why do we just not even give a shit about ourselves and our autonomy and our our
0: rights? Chris, wasn't it wasn't it a, like a Chinese American uh, litigation that really established birthright citizenship in America? Uh, Wong Kim Ark. Wasn't that the case that essentially like defined you know the right that. You're automatically a citizen if you're born on US soil. Uh, if I recall my con law. Con law was a so long time ago. I'm embarrassed to say I forgot all about it.
2: That is the case. Yeah. It was a Chinese American guy.
0: Yeah. So basically, like, I mean, that's an example of, you know, back then you would be like, you know, why do I care what this, like, Chino, you know, like what his rights are with respect to property in the US or whatever? But no, like if you understand law, like this was not about Wang Kibark, this was not really about him as a, as an individual. This was about the broader interpretation of what the citizenship means under the constitution as the law of the land. And so if you look, you know, the modern day understanding of a uh, birthright citizenship uh, was cuz some Chinese guy decided to challenge it in court. Yeah. So this could very much be something like that. Yeah, like I don't think most people, you know, would know Wong Kim Ark, but we certainly know what birthright citizenship is and how it works. And that was the genesis of it.
2: Mm In the 19th century, like there were thousands of cases brought on by Chinese American plaintiffs um, against like racist laws, and they won a, a lot of them and i think those are actually a solid basis for civil liberties in the us yeah
0: you you brought up one uh before like about a law that was really strange like it prohibited like laundromats that had wooden floors you know like
1: right uh, yeah
0: and it, it set up the a certain legal doctrine about like de facto discriminatory laws like they're discriminatory by their effect even though
2: they don't actually say it yeah they're not say specify a race yeah yeah
0: that is a huge cornerstone in legal doctrine that you know it goes into modern law
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in
0: how we think about discrimination under the law goes back to, uh, you know, some Chinese launderers challenging some local statutes.
2: Yeah. And they fucking won. At that
0: time, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, yeah, this is going to shape the future of America, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. But, like, we fucking won. Right. We fucking won so many of those cases. Yeah. And I just – it upsets me that – Your friends are like, well, why do you, why do you get so defensive of China? (laughs) Like, that just pissed me off so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why do you think of yourself? Why do you think of teen as Chinese and not American? Like that. That just signals that you consider yourself not even a citizen of the US. Like, that's your problem right there.
0: Yeah, like if a white guy was arguing this stuff, you wouldn't be like, oh, you're just biased because you're white? No, obviously that wouldn't stay, <laughs> you know, like it wouldn't, you know, it kind of cuts against the bias because you're like, oh, a white American clearly would be, uh, you know, really arguing for in the interests of Americans. But if you're Chinese, you're kind of like, oh, what are you, sympathetic to the commies? What's going on? That's Red Scare bullshit, you know?
2: yeah. The executive order actually infringes on freedom of religion too, because a lot of the a lot of the people in Boston, they're freaking out because all these temples they're having to switch to like Facebook or something else to organize teleservices. but it's obviously non-ideal, right? So it's cutting off like religious practices for a huge swath of the Chinese speaking population. I think that's something. Was it that was included in the was that included in the injunction?
0: I don't know if that was part of the reasoning, but I think that was part of the complaint. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it factored in because that's a huge uh, that's a huge issue.
2: Right. So it's it's really impacting like two of the major cornerstones of American ideals. Yeah. You should you should really give a fuck about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. So that kind of wraps it up for us. If you've made it this far, I uh, really appreciate uh, you know, doing a deep dive into uh, what I think is going to be a very, very important and very interesting legal case. All right. See y'all.